This is the CGN Mission and Methods Podcast. This episode was recorded in Murrieta Hot Springs, California in June of 2019. Welcome to the CGN Mission and Methods podcast, the official podcast of the Calvary Global Network. I'm Kellen Criswell. I'm your host for this episode. Our guest on this episode is Pastor Rod Thompson. Rod has served in various capacities in the ministry. He was a missionary and church planner for 28 years in various countries, including Hungary, Serbia, Austria, and the USA. Rod has planted four churches. He's directed various discipleship programs over the last 20 years. He's been involved in training and deploying dozens of leaders into numerous ministry vocations around the world. He's planted and led Bible colleges around the world. He's a recent graduate of Veritas International University. And currently, if all of that wasn't enough, he's getting ready to go to Montebelluna, Italy to help oversee Calvary Chapel Bible College of Italy to serve as kind of a mobile leadership training minister in a lot of different places in Europe, Africa, and around the world, the Philippines. And so, Rod, I am very excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, do you, do you feel like you just had your eulogy read to you, or how are you feeling about all that? No, I got a little bit more in me, so the, um, by the time I get done, hopefully you'll, there'll be a couple more things you can take yeah. on the end. <laughs> the nail's not in the coffin yet. Yeah, yeah. not yet. It's still moving yeah. forward. Yeah. Today we're going to be talking about developing and deploying leaders in the local church, as we've discussed prior to the podcast, as you know, Rod. <laughs> and uh, to start with, I thought it'd be good just to talk a little bit about this, on, I'll call it an ongoing legacy that the Lord is really... Um, granted to you, been creating in your life, established through you. And I mean, I know that by the grace of God, you've done a lot of things. We just listed those. But I think it's safe to say that one of your chief ministry passions, just from knowing you, is mentoring and developing leaders. Um, a good portion of some of the most fruitful leaders that I know point to you as the chief person that God used to uh, build them up, to give them foundations that have led to a faithful Christian life, faithful Christian ministry. And so just, and I know, I know you enough that you're not wanting to be puffed up and, and all that stuff. I know you give all the credit and, and honor to the grace of God, but this is just observational. These are the facts. You know, so I think of guys like Clay Worrell, who's planted a, a church in Ireland. He's, he's pastoring and planting a church up in the Bay Area in California now. Josh Taransky, a lot of great guys doing great things around the world. And I, you talk to him, and I've had chats with him and said, well, who's the most influential people in your lives and your name? comes up top of the list real quick. So that's got to be a huge blessing to you. And as an estimate, how many leaders do you think you've had an opportunity to either directly mentor or significantly help impact their lives that are out serving the Lord? Yeah, through the internship, you know, over the years, I would say it's close to 200. 200. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I can't go anywhere in the world now and go to a, a pastors and leaders conference without there being some former interns yeah. that I have a relationship with that are that are continuing on and serving in the ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. And the way it began is, um, you know, I was a church planner in Eastern Europe, and the opportunity came for me to take over the Bible college in Austria. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, is the first Calvary Chapel Bible College. Yeah, right? yeah, international. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, I was pastoring in a town, Spital, about 10 minutes away from Milstadt, where the, where the Bible college was. I did and not know that you pastored in Spital. Oh, yeah. I did that for about four and a half years. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. So you're doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the, the opportunity came in praying through it. You know, the reason why I did that is because I came to the realization that I could only plant one church at a time. Mm-hmm. And my vision was to reach Europe. I, I, you know, I wasn't called to any particular country in Europe. My my vision was always to reach Europe, and it still is. Yeah, I'm going to go back to Italy, and um, and reach Italy. But I ho- I'm hoping and praying that I can still be influential across the continent as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with that kind of understanding, I I I just sunk my teeth into um, early on attempting to develop young leaders and raise up guys that wanted to be missionaries and church planners mm-hmm. and then you know develop relationships with them and, and and it kind of grew from there yeah that and that's why you know seeing the the fruit of it but also you know these people that you just mentioned and a host of others I, I still have this bond with them mm-hmm. you know yeah. And, and I struggled with that over the years as well. You know, I, they're like they, they were their sons in the faith. Yeah. But and and you know to distinguish a son in the faith from just being a son is, um, you know, I had a father who was not a, a believer, and he could pass on certain things to me. Mm-hmm. You know, he he was a plumber. We were plumbers by trade, and he was great at passing on that. But uh, there's a there's men and women who are feeling called to ministry, or maybe their family isn't a ministry family. Yeah. And so you kind of fulfill that role in their life of being that mentor um, and that figure, a father figure, as you mm-hmm. pass on the trade of ministry. Yeah. And so yeah. that's been that's been special. And so, you know, I, 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 like we're having a going away party. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm overwhelmed at how many people are attending and many of my sons in the faith are are journeying from from Washington State, from Bakersfield, from all over, just to come and and to be a part of that launching. Yeah, as we as we set out for yeah. back to Europe. So mentorship, in a lot of ways, has kind of extended your family exponentially. Yeah, <laughs> because of the relationships God gave to you through it. Yeah, and that, you know, and that's you know, um, like to be a success. Mm-hmm in mentoring somebody, that's foundational. Mm -hmm. You can't do it without a a relationship. For me, it comes easy. Uh, I I love people and I love being around people. Um, And so that becomes the foundation that you build on as as you kind of maybe have to share some difficult things with them in the process of Mm -hmm. mentorship. Yeah. So the foundation is relationship and love, and you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend at that time. Mm-hmm. They might not like you at the moment when you're telling them, but they know that you love them, mm-hmm. and and then, you know, they receive it. Yeah, as you, as you have to kind of shape them a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So one one of the things you said I think could be really helpful to press into for a minute because what I heard you say as far as the initial thing that gave you a passion for mentorship in relationship is this desire that you had to be more broadly impactful 
for God's kingdom, right? Yeah. And the thing that came to my mind when you were saying that is that I think for many people, there's a lot of believers, I think probably all believers want, they like the idea of being broadly used by God mm-hmm. for God's kingdom. But for many of us, we think we have kind of a one-dimensional way of thinking about how that could come about. And so we'll think, I would really like to be used by God. So that means I need to have a bigger platform than I do right now. And they, they make an equation between the bigger platform I have, the higher the impact that I can have. But you had more kind of the opposite approach to having a big impact instead of just seeking a big platform where you have a voice with more people at one time you just focused more in the people that god had in front of you and made yourself more available to these relationships and in a way it's kind of like having a smaller scope of focus or a smaller pool of focus you've actually you're impacted the whole world even though you didn't necessarily you know you're not like uh uh writing a blog with a hundred thousand followers or something like that, you know? And I think that that's a key thing because it shows that you don't have to have these national, international platforms in the same, in the ways that we often think to be able to have a long and broad and lasting impact in the kingdom. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. So early on too, I just kind of developed the model, I guess it's um, the Jesus model, if you will. He had just a small group of guys that he poured into. So that worked for him. There must be something to it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, he's someone I think we can follow his example. (laughs) You know, so the small group of people that um, he spent a lot of time with, didn't he? Mm -hmm. And, you know, through various things uh, along the road, there were um, key moments of teaching if you if you look through maybe the events, you see him also um, intentionally discipling these guys. Mm-hmm. The feeding of the five thousand, you give them something to eat. You know, a lot of things like that were um, were very intentional on Jesus's part for the benefit of those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, so Ephesians eleven and twelve, of course, the equipping of the saints, which is foundational. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So this equipping aspect, you know, giving people um, things to do. Mm-hmm. A lot of internships fail where it becomes more of a, just a gopher program, go for this and go for that. Right. Yeah. There's no real intentional. It's just you need some things done. So I'm going to get an intern to do all these things that mm-hmm. I need to get done. Right. With no thought of how this is going to equip and train this individual for what, what you know, maybe God is calling them to do. Mm-hmm. And so that's key, I think, for me to look at this, these young men, these young ladies that want to serve God. And then giving them things that um, tasks to do that are going to prepare them for the things that God is putting in their heart. Mm. You know, specific, um, specific, real ministry opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so maybe this is reason why some people don't like, or some people um, maybe don't have a successful kind of mentorship, is because they're afraid that. If you give these young people something to do, they're going to mess it up, and it's going to come back and um, make you know, yeah, make them look bad or whatever. Yeah. 
So if that's if that's the case, then don't try it. <laughs> this, is, this is not for the mm-hmm. you know faint of heart. Yeah. I mean, you're going to take risks, just like somebody took a risk in your life, early in your life, to give you an opportunity that you could potentially mess up, right? Mm-hmm. And so you got to give these people real ministry opportunities, mm-hmm. and in a in a um, kind of a closed environment, um, not you don't release them all the way. Where what, if they do fail, it's not going to yeah. be detrimental to the ministry, mm-hmm. but you have to give them room to fail. Mm-hmm. And some of my greatest lessons are my failures. Mm-hmm. And some of their greatest lessons are going to be failing in the things that I allow them to do. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and that's great. So you're looking at life. You're following the Lord. You're engaged in ministry. You want to make a big impact. You start looking at the Bible. How did Jesus do this? And Jesus has these very life-on-life relational mentoring relationships with the twelve that involve things like giving them enough rope to kind of hang themselves, but not completely leaving them to their devices. I, I think w- there's one text I think of that um, mirrors that kind of principle. Is I think it's Luke 10 is one of the tellings of Jesus sending out the seventy. And before they go, he, he gives them some instructions and all that, and then he, he lets them go. And by implication, grants the empowerment of the Spirit for that kind of lab in the field. I guess that's not the same thing. But in, in the field ministry training experience where they're joining in and, and participating. And I remember they come back and they're like, oh, man, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And, and it's as if he kind of says, all right, let's huddle back up. Yeah. We're going to have another teachable moment here. Don't, you know, that's that's great, but look, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in this. And it's kind of this follow-up, ongoing relational piece, but giving them and actually letting them get involved to go yeah. do stuff that mattered, but still in the context of the relationship where he's continuing to guide and help. And and I do, not, not to go on and on, but I do, as you're describing those two views on uh, what do you want to call it, internships or discipleship relationships or mentorship or whatever people want to call it, there's there's different ways that I think people commonly view that. And the one you described is kind of the, I think it's like the volunteer, we're just looking for warm bodies to do the stuff that nobody else wants to do, right? Yeah. yeah. But that's not what you see in Jesus's mentor relationships. It no. seems much more like you were, I think you were saying, he's looking at them as people who have legitimate, specific calls of God. And because of that, they have this potential of who they can be in God. And the point of the training wasn't just to get stuff done Jesus didn't want to do. It was to help them develop in who God was calling them to be. And by default, you're helping expand the kingdom. Yes. Is that, is that connecting to what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, like, like these menial tasks need to get done, and we all have to do menial tasks. But if that's the central focus, mm-hmm. we've missed the mark. Mm. And it's not going to be fruitful. Mm-hmm. There has to be. I, I mean, for uh, for me, uh, um, what I've learned is there's three main elements, right? And I've already kind of touched on these. But one is the relationship. Mm-hmm. And then um, two is an academic aspect. So I'm not just extracting from people, but I'm also pouring into them. Mm-hmm. And I usually have two different meetings with guys every week. One is um, studying the Bible together. And um, we just do it inductively and keeps us in the Word and, and all kinds of questions and, and discipleship happens at, at those times. And then the second one is uh, theology. Mm-hmm. And we just go over some theological topics and 
you know, again, discuss those as, as we I give them homework and then they come back and then we discuss them. And then a lot of discipleship happens in there, you know, because they start asking questions that they're, that they're wrestling with and be able to work through things. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the, the third one is practical. Mm-hmm. You know, there has to be, like I said, real ministry that's given to them. Yeah. And I would, so, yeah, so we're talking, there's a head kind of knowledge piece that we need and there's practical skills. And in the relational part, is that, are you focused um, more on like the character development side of things? Is that what characterizes yeah, most of the relational piece? It, it, to me, that's the foundation of everything. It, it provides a... So it's the context of the yeah. training. Yeah. You know, like sometimes um, I'll invite them all over to my house and we'll watch uh, UFC fights. Yeah, and we won't pray except for before we. You're eat. definitely saved. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so there's just those kind of nights where it's just low key. Um, we'll just hang out, cook barbecue. I love barbecues, and so very relational. Um, mm-hmm. They get to see me in my home yeah. with my wife, with my children. You know. And so there's so, a modeling that's happening. Yeah. And, it, and I don't do it just for that, but these are benefits from that. Sure. It just I open my life to them mm-hmm. and let them in. Mm-hmm. And through that um, forms a relationship that lasts for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And so that obviously, just even in the way you're describing that, this is uh, something that takes high commitment, high availability. Yeah, access, spending time doing these kinds of things. And I think the, those realities are part of why I think it's good for us to understand that this isn't just one practical way to do this, but there's actually strong biblical foundations that motivate us to be willing to set forth this kind of time and energy that's involved in all of this, right? Yeah. And you've been talking about that a bit, just in the picture of Jesus's way of interacting and training the disciples in the Gospels. But what are some other texts that are important to you as far as the biblical foundations of how your thinking is on this that would really call us to to be willing to engage in figuring this out? Yeah, another uh, very important one is Second Timothy. Mm-hmm. Two, two, and the things that you heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Mm-hmm. And so that's been um, something that's been in my mind and heart throughout the process yeah. is, you know, I'm, I'm going to be gone one day. Yeah. And I want the I want the kingdom to continue. I want the ministry to continue to grow. You know, I want to make an impact. I want my fruit to remain. Mm-hmm. I want to do all those biblical things, and this is a great way to do it. You know, there's really two main reasons why maybe people don't have a, a mentorship program, mm-hmm. however you want to call that. Mm-hmm. One of them is time, like you said. Mm-hmm. It takes a commitment. Mm-hmm. It takes a time commitment that sometimes, you know, you don't have. Maybe it's practical reasons or whatever, but if you can't put the time in, it won't be it won't be successful. Mm-hmm. And the second th- thing is is sometimes people don't want to raise other people up because it intimidates them. Because uh, uh, to mm. be honest with you, you mentioned co- a couple people in the intro that are much smarter than me, that were my interns, mm-hmm. that I believe are going to outgrow me 
you know, like water only comes to the same level. And so I gave them all the water I could give them, you know. (laughs) And as they move on, they're going to do greater things, you know. And so for me, I rejoice in that. Yeah. Because I think about the kingdom. I don't think about how it's going to make me look or whatever. Yeah. Um, I I want to see the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. expand but those are two reasons why people yeah. well th- and the third reason is you know you don't want to take risk mm-hmm. with somebody you know? yeah if it's going to be done right i gotta do it myself yeah kind of thing yeah, yeah. micromanagers there's a lot of micromanagers you know i just i just <clears throat> ran into a guy who was in an internship and he'd been a, an intern of mine and so he was kind of mentioning like how he can see like why my internships are so fruitful. Mm-hmm. And I didn't tell him that. I did, you know, that's, <laughs> but he was you coming know, to hear your hype, the yeah. reason for your hype. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, you know, he, because he said this other one was, you know, I just showed up and I had my list of things to do and I usually did them alone. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, a, a, a job mm-hmm. to get these things done. Yeah, and so you know, like, and those things are valid. You mm-hmm. need to get those things done, but that's don't call it an internship. Mm-hmm. I just need uh, to hire somebody to get X, Y, and Z done. Some grunt workers, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then you'll get guys that can do those things. Yeah. You know, which is like you're intimating earlier. It's a very task focused instead of a person yeah. focused kind of thing. But that's so great. You know, those three. Um, potential blind spots, certainly pitfalls to why some leaders may be reluctant to engage and really therefore rob themselves of the joy yeah. of mentoring relationships being um, the, uh, did you say fear? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly I lost them. My brain went blank. Uh, but the, so it's pride is one. Like yeah. just, it's it's kind of all about you. And if they go beyond the level of influence that you've had, what does that mean yeah. about you? And uh, and then not wanting things to get messed up. What was the first one you said? Um, time. Time, yeah. The, the, having the time to do it. Yeah, yeah. And it connected back to, to 2 Timothy 2, 2. I think that's such a... It's a good verse for this whole discussion and, and to dig in a little bit. And I think one, some of the things I think that are u- unique about it is it really, to me, sets the responsibility on church leaders today. Well, it, it causes us, I think it, it calls us to acknowledge this is an ongoing responsibility, that the yeah. way Jesus discipled leaders in the Gospels, um, at least as the basic framework, is not just an option for some pastors who are into that thing, but there's actually a calling on church leaders to do that today from verses like 2 Timothy 2.2. And I think that comes out of some of the dynamics there. You know, Paul is, I think, drawing back on this pattern that had been established by Jesus. And he's, he's saying to Timothy, basically, I carried this on, and now I want you to do this. And then it's, I think that, that that tells us this line of engaging in that work is supposed to continue on for church leaders all the way up to today who would be reading those instructions from Paul to Timothy and saying, oh, I guess that's something I need to do as well. But then the dynamics in it are, are that Paul describes are very much like what we've been talking about in Jesus's relationship to the disciples in the Gospels. He said, the things you have seen and heard in me, now you go. So there's a come and see what what this all looks like yeah and there's a come and listen and you're talking about there's stuff you got to know in your head but there's stuff you got to see in our lives if we're going to be mentoring and discipling people and uh, so yeah just such a key verse for them 
Yeah, and taking taking these guys on a mission trip with you. Yeah. It, that, that those are some of the most fruitful times as well. They get to see and minister. You're, you're doing it shoulder to shoulder at mm-hmm. that time, you know? Yeah. In, in you know, the Great Commission, I, I mean, I got a mission. Yeah, let's I'm talk a, about that. Connect that to <laughs> Yeah, I'm a missionary, right? So that, that's been an influential kind of passage in my life, obviously. But it says, make disciples of all nations. Mm-hmm. Make disciples. So, you know, how are you going to disciple Mm-hmm. people and you know you, there's a point a from when they're saved and there's a point b when they go to heaven right mm-hmm. and so this process in the middle mm-hmm. and so you know there's a new believers discipleship there is a um mature believers discipleship but if a person wants to go into the ministry don't we have to disciple them too mm-hmm. isn't there a mentorship for them and that's that. That's where maybe each step takes a little bit more of our time. Mm-hmm. You know, like Jesus mentored many people. Yeah, five thousand men at the feeding of the five thousand with five loaves and two fish. There's a there's a discipleship he's doing with everybody, including the disciples, his twelve, his guys he named apostles. But then, like you said, the seventy. There was another kind of level for them wasn't there yeah and then another level for the 12 and so and then the three you could say yeah, yeah. <clears throat> see you have these these um this discipleship mm-hmm. in order to make disciples of all nations and, and i think we need to carry that on paul was great at that mm-hmm. the apostle paul he would come in say to um the ephesians right and he noticed that there was something missing. So he just asked a couple questions. Have you received the Holy Spirit when you believe? And they said, well, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So he picked up right where they were, where where somebody else, Apollos, had taken them, and he picked up the baton from Apollos, and then he started ministering from that point on. Mm -hmm. And so when you get guys whatever level, you you have to kind of figure out where they are and then begin the discipleship process for them mm. personally. Yeah, you know. So I, I've done this um, internships in the Bible college setting. So I kind of know what I'm going to get mm-hmm. after they graduate. I kind of know what they're going to know already, so I can pick up right there and continue on. Mm-hmm. And so when you're di- talking about a discipleship program, a mentorship program, you have to kind of custom make one mm. for where you are in the ministry and what's going on in your particular environment and yeah. the people that God brings your way. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, if there's just one person, start there mm-hmm. and, and, and pour your heart and life into that one person. Mm-hmm. And God will probably bring two yeah. for you, you know? Yeah. So it's, in some ways, it's a very um, learner-focused, start with the learner that's in front of your face and approach to doing this kind of thing. Yeah, you ha- it, it, it's all about that person. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, any new group of, of interns mm-hmm. that I have, the first thing we do is we go and we um, go camping or we go 
spend a couple nights up at Twin Peaks Conference Center. Yeah. They always let me come up there with my interns. We'll go to the Fern Rock House. We'll have some times waiting upon the Lord, you know, worship. We'll eat together and all those things. But the, the reason I do that is they get to know me right away. They get to know each other right away. Mm-hmm. And I get to know them right away. Yeah. And, and the relationship begins. Mm-hmm. And so then I get to know them um, in a in you know every every individual and kind of start ministering to them. Yeah, um, it's yeah. exciting. That's yeah, it's amazing. And I I think one of the things that's challenging, um, particularly for people who come from industrialized nations, you know, a lot of us in the West, we have a very um, I w- I call it like a canned approach to teaching, whether that's teaching a Bible college class, could be teaching a book of the Bible or doing discipleship. We have a very uh, production line, programmatic um, way of thinking sometimes. So it's like we kind of act as if one size fits all. You know, we're just, here's the content, here's the procedure, no matter who the individuals happen to be that are going through this, everybody gets the same stuff and everybody experiences the same outcomes. But part of what I'm hearing from you it, it is is that no it's it there is a process there is a framework there are some things that everyone needs to know but there's this is also hugely relational again a very life on like thing life on life kind of thing and even though there are some things that everybody needs to know there are some levels at which everyone needs a customized touch within the context of a discipleship relationship am i characterizing that right yeah yeah exactly yeah and that's that's a that feels like a tough um, balance to strike. Uh, just even again, I guess back to the time that you got to put in and all of that. It's easier to think, well, here's the here's the can, here's the process. You you plug people in, they come out. There you go, production line. Here's your ordination papers. Go off and save the world. You know, yeah. wouldn't it be easier if it was like that? Um, but we can't do it that way. No, not, not at least I haven't found that yeah. to work. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so there's certain how, things that, that that does work. Sometimes church growth works like that, mm-hmm. you know. And so you can get a a big church without really um, mm-hmm. raising people up. Yeah, into ministry, yeah. you know, or really developing them yeah. in character and so on. We want to thank everyone who joined us for the 2019 CGN International Conference. We had an amazing week of fellowship, equipping, and encouragement with pastors from all over the world. All of the main sessions are archived and available to watch right now at calvarychapel.com. We're also excited to bring you audio podcasts of all the main sessions, as well as the specialized training tracks from Tuesday and Wednesday. Those topics included Christ-centered preaching, church planting, culturally aware evangelism, leadership coaching, theology, and more. Look for those in the coming weeks on calvarychapel.com as well as on iTunes. No peace mind. Yeah, so okay, so thinking about those the tension between that or the or the challenge that it is to have something that is practical, it is even sequential maybe, but it's also customizable. What advice would you give to the leader who's listening to this thinking, I want to do discipleship. It needs to be practical in some way, but of course I want it to be relational and as helpful to the actual individuals I'm doing with as possible. What's some thoughts you might share with them on how to strike, discern the right balance and approach for them and how to be both practical and relational in the way that they do discipleship? Yeah. So I think, um, I think it's key 
like I said, here at the Bible College, I, I know what I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. And so I can kind of develop a program, you know, academically anyway, and kind of one thing fits everybody because mm-hmm. they're all coming out. So we're all going to study the same things. Mm-hmm. And so you have, to, you have to kind of discern where you are in your church setting, for example, mm-hmm. and, and see what the spiritual depth is or, you know, I don't know, maybe if you've been there for just five years, mm-hmm. they might be just catching on to, you know, your, your ministry and starting to grow. And then at that point, that's where you develop your approach. Mm-hmm. In, in, and I think mostly what I'm talking about is the academic level. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So what? So know who you're dealing with. Yeah. Know what your context is. Uh-huh. And then academically, you can kind of set up a program um, that, that kind of fits them. Mm-hmm. Some reading materials that will help them, you know, like there's um, right now because of the Bible college students, I, I have them reading a lot of theology, maybe mm-hmm. a little tougher reading. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't start off like that in a church setting where I'm just getting guys that are kind of ri- rising up above some of the other ones, mm-hmm. um, kind of have more insights. That's how I kind of discern whether guys are called to the to the ministry, as I see that they have insights into God's word, usually God gives them, you know, insight because He wants them to take those things and share them with other people. So, you know, and then I, those are the kind of guys that I want to start working with. Mm-hmm. So, can I ask real quick, in terms of who you enter into these kinds of relationships with, um, have you tended to do? to identify them by saying, hey, we've got an internship program, and if you want to come and be a part of this, go for it. Or do you do it more invite only? You're just, as you're talking about, you are seeing God's work in somebody's life, and you think that's the right kind of person, or is it a combination of both? It's a combination of both, but it's mostly um, in, by invite. Mm-hmm. It's people that I see mm-hmm. and through... For a couple of different reasons. One is I, I see the real potential in them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of can discern that this um, investment is going to pay off. Yeah. And the second thing is usually the people are already kind of attached to us mm-hmm. in the ministry. Yeah. You know, for example, we did the On the Edge program for 10 years here. Mm-hmm. On the Edge was um, a high school age kind of discipleship program. Yeah. We targeted them. And then they, they would kind of get turned on to the Lord. They, they would um, make commitments to the Lord. And then they would come back and they'd go to Bible college. Mm-hmm. And through the Bible college, they remained kind of in relationship with us, would attend cross-culture Marietta, the church yeah. that I pastored. Mm-hmm. And so there was a environment where we're always together kind of watching them and then they would graduate and by then I could kind of see yeah that person has some potential I think they they have a heart to minister so then I would invite them mm-hmm. you know so that's key too because then they're already you don't have to kind of teach them or have them try to fit into your ministry mm-hmm. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, if you if you take it by application only, this person comes from wherever he comes from. Yeah. And will he kind of jive? Yeah. Will he you know, kind of fit in? Versus we're already in the stream together. Yeah. I'm just kind of pulling you closer and guiding you with me kind yeah. of thing. But yeah. I, I've always been open mm-hmm. to people from the outside and um, had a 
lot yeah. of success and some maybe not so much. Cause. Yeah. Well, and again, I think this is just um, it's another area where the approach you're describing really does fit with Jesus's approach, because in even in like the selecting of the 12, I think it's Luke that describes it as he had prayed, spent all night in prayer to the father, and then he called 12 to himself, Yeah. you know, and, and that's that's what I see uh, being played out in, in what you're talking about in your life is, yeah, you got to be led by the Lord and you're, you're observing who God are you calling me into this kind of relationship with. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. For uh, one example is there was this kid that was in the EDGE program and then he went, when he graduated high school, did a little college. And then he called me and he asked if he could come do an internship. Mm-hmm. He didn't go to Bible college. He was secular college, did about a year there but he felt calling him to ministry. And I just felt like he should come. Mm-hmm. Bypass the Bible college, and he came, and he was a great mm-hmm. guy. You know, he's now youth leader in his church and very close with that family, that whole family. Mm-hmm. And uh, all yeah. of their kids were kind of in the On the Edge program, and yeah. they appreciated what God was doing there. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, so as we move toward wrapping up here, it's been a great conversation. Um, you have had the opportunity to have these kinds of relationships, these experiences with people that you're investing in by God's grace in a lot of places. So North America, in here in Southern California, for instance, um, talked about Austria, Hungary. So we're talking Central and Eastern Europe and Western Europe. You've been highly involved in the Philippines and in, in, in that context as well, very different than North America or Europe. Uh, you're, you are involved and are continuing to get more involved down in Africa. So having had the opportunity to have the same basic purpose and relationships in so many different places, what's looked different, what's looked the same uh, as you think about doing discipleship in intercultural relationships or cross-cultural, however we want to talk about that, versus people from your home culture? The Principles are the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. So transferable principles. Mm-hmm. But the application is um, is a little different okay. in different contexts. And so you just have to... So can I just... Like, yeah. so by principles, we're talking everyone, it's the context of relationship. Yeah. It involves the uh, academic. An, an academic knowledge uh, aspect, and it involves practical skills. Yes. But what those look like can be very different applicationally depending on the culture and the people you're dealing with. Is that, yeah. yeah. Especially, especially the practical things. Okay. Because mm-hmm. the academics, you know, you're studying the Bible. It's going to be the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. Relationship, you know, you might have to adjust your relationship depending on, you know, what is culturally... Cultural norms. Yeah, mm-hmm. appropriate mm-hmm. and so forth. But the practical things, I mean, the the American church, especially, the, you know, the, the large Calvary Chapel... You know, you can't just transfer that. Mm-hmm. It's not a template that just works in a village in Phil- the Philippines, huh? No, <laughs> nor does it work. You know, I mean, in Europe in general, there's a couple yeah. big. You don't take now. boxes of Hawaiian shirts over there and hand them out. To all <laughs> <the best. laughs> well, we do that. We tried it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a tra- lesson of trial and error. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So you 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 just have to um, understand the church setting, you know, uh, like most churches in Europe are very small, most mm-hmm. of the Calvary chapels. And and so you just can't say we, we need to do this this way 
Mm-hmm. Like we do it in Costa Mesa or Orange County, mm-hmm. and let's do this in a in a town in Hungary or a town in Serbia. Mm-hmm. The the principles stay the same, but how you apply them and in, in the tasks that they that you give people to do have to fit the environment that you're in. Yeah, and so the challenge is is to what can I have this young person do that is something very. Uh, meaningful, substantial. It's not just a, a, a meaningless task or a menial task, mm-hmm. but something that they can do in your context. Mm-hmm. So they 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 feel like they're doing something mm-hmm. real for God. You know, yeah. when I started getting involved in developing leaders, it was I was at a missions conference. In Austria, and there, this is early on. There were probably maybe now fifty missionaries or so, mm-hmm. and 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 I remember sitting there thinking, how many people back in my context of ministry, it was then Serbia, mm-hmm. needed to be at that conference and hearing these things. Mm-hmm. And so I started a um, a conference it was called growing a ministry it then came became foundations yeah 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 and so we started that and i and, to, and that transitioned to hungary as well later yeah with the bible college well, no it is we started it in hungary oh you started it in yeah. hungary okay i thought you were saying you started in austria so okay yeah, yeah well so i was still I, I was still connected to serbia gotcha and to yeah. eastern europe and to hungary mm-hmm. and so you know because a lot of the western people were at the missions conference right mm-hmm. in and so I was there, yeah. But I was thinking, man, these guys need to hear these things. So we started one in Hungary mm-hmm. for that part of the world where these young leaders could come, and that had um, tremendous impact. And just speaking to people like you're a minister, mm-hmm. you're not you're not just a church attendee. You're not just somebody that is coming to church now. You're a minister, mm-hmm. and so speaking to people like that changes how they view themselves too, you know. And so in in the Philippines, <clears throat> for example, you know, that's a much different ministry because it's there's no Calvary chapels on the island that I go to. Mm-hmm. It's interdenominational ministry that we're doing. We're ministering to people from all different kinds of churches. The reason why I started this is we went over there through some circumstances I won't get into but God brought us there, and I realized that there were so many good people, mm-hmm. good servants, that I didn't need to send somebody over to plant something. Mm-hmm. I just needed to take the people that were there and give them more tools. Mm. They were they these guys are willing to die for their faith. Mm-hmm. They give everything, and and so we just started mentoring them, started coming over, doing these pastors and leaders conferences. We're now we're we've done them all over the island. Mm-hmm. We're known all over the island. I, I joke around, but God has given us this island. Yeah, there's four to five hundred pastors and leaders that are looking to us now mm-hmm. to mentor them, because there's not they don't they're, they're not mentored by anybody else. Mm-hmm. And some of them have connections in different places and things, but they they know when they come to this conference what they're going to get. They're going to get some good training. That is um, that they can take and, and apply it right away back in their home church. You mm-hmm. know, yeah, and that's exciting. That that thrills me. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's fantastic. And so I think part of 
what I think we're saying is that this whole journey of developing leaders, it's absolutely relevant for doing great commission work in your local church, wherever you happen to be. But it's also a, a huge missions opportunity and really call right now in this in the, the way that things are in the world. I, I, I read missiology nerds and things like that, and, and so I, I read discussions on this kind of stuff as well. And a very consistent theme is this opportunity that those of us from areas of the world where Christianity has been around longer, so we have more resources, more tools like you're describing, maybe more experience. So there's the global South has all, I mean, God is just uh, pouring out revival in in, uh, Asia, Southeast Asia, in Africa. And so there's people coming to Christ in droves, and there's a lot of great people, there's a lot of great leaders, but again, they're in under-resourced contexts. And so a connection with this discipleship vision and missions, I think, is exactly what you're saying, that there's leaders all around the world that, not in a paternalistic weird way, you know, but, but in, a, in a come alongside, be the global church, share the resources and wealth God has given to us kind of way, there really is a huge opportunity right now for pastors and leaders to do what you're doing and go as God would lead and provide relationships to connect for ministry leadership development. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, they're under-resourced and they're under-trained. Mm. And they, from my experience, are open mm-hmm. to learning. They're humble and they want to learn. Mm-hmm. And if somebody will go there and teach them yeah, some things, you know, um, that we have gained through 30 years' experience, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we can pass that on. Yeah. 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 And and I think also, too, if I'm hearing you right, one of the principles you're saying is, so one is there's this opportunity and we we should consider that. Would God have you go and come alongside leaders in another part of the world to help with these skills and training and things like that? But I think the other thing you were you were getting at is going as learners first mm-hmm. and not just showing up and saying, well, I'm going to tell them to do it exactly how I did it in Temecula, California. But instead, like you were is saying there are principles that we we definitely know we're going to bring. There's truth about God that we know we're going to bring. But showing up as a learner first and asking, how does this need to be conveyed in this culture? And how do they need to be freed to express the core of what we're talking about in a way that connects with their culture? Do you think you follow that? You think Yeah, that's... yeah it's kind of the same, same principle on the individual. Mm-hmm. Like you had this guy come mm-hmm. and right. you kind of get to know him and how can I help him accomplish? Then they, they, there's a, a respect that's built in right away. Mm-hmm. And so when you go into, say, the Philippines, for example, we didn't go in there saying this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. We came in there asking, what do you guys need? Mm-hmm. How can we help? So you're letting them lead and even determining yeah. some of the kind of mentoring needs. And, and yeah. so just asking a couple questions, as Paul did, mm-hmm. and then understanding what, where they are and what they need, and then meeting them at that point. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's, I'm, I'm, I have two things, main things that I try to do. is I try to teach them how to study the Bible, how to teach the Bible. And I have guys now for the first time teaching through books of the Bible in their church. And then the second thing is to understand the grace of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a distinctive that Calvary Chapel has. We have a great understanding of God's grace yeah. that much of the world doesn't grasp. And so when you go to various places, I don't know how many 
in every church almost that I've planted, I started with the book of Galatians <laughs> mm-hmm. because they're commi- their context is a religious kind of mm-hmm. environment. In the Philippines, being predominantly Catholic, I want to make sure that these guys understand that, mm. that grace, you know, God's grace. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I think something that connects to this that I'm hearing guys like Timothy Tennant talk about is um, how relevant this is, even in, in terms of the theological principles that we begin with in the instruction and training we're doing in a different context. And basically, what, I think what a lot of these guys are saying is that we often don't realize in the West that our systematic theologies have come out of times when we were actually asking questions about the things that are articulated in our systematic theologies. But the blind spot is we might, uh, as a maybe a Western Christian, American Christian, for instance, going to do training like you're talking about, we show up and think, well, the first thing that we always have to talk about is the authority and the inerrancy and the sufficiency of Scripture, which of course is not a bad thing. But in reality, you might go to an African context where they're like, yeah, we, we assume that. Like, there's no question of that. Yeah. And, and, and there might be other more pressing things locally that they actually are for the moment of greater importance for you to help them think through. So maybe you're in a, a context where uh, people are coming to Christ, but polygamy is just part of the culture. And so maybe things like that are, are come to the forefront. Not that you don't teach or talk about, of course, we have that value of the inerrancy and, and sufficiency and authority of Scripture, but the context might tell us, hey, they need to ask the question more pressingly, what does the gospel and this new relationship we have with the one true God mean for these other kinds of social areas and marriage and things like that? Yeah. Um, so what do you think about that? That's it, that's it. And so, again, that's why I the number one thing I try to do is just teach them how to study the Bible. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. you know, working in the interdenominational context, you know, there's um, pastors, pastoras. Mm-hmm. And I never bring up the fact that the Bible says that women should not be ordained ministers, mm-hmm. you know. I'm not, I don't talk about that. If they ask me, I'll, I'll talk about it. Yeah. But my goal is to get them into the God's Word, mm-hmm. learning how to study God's Word, and let let that penetrate awesome yeah and transform it'll be their filter as yeah. they ask their questions and yeah because yeah, the the word of god needs to be applied in their culture and who knows it better than they mm-hmm. yeah right so if i can just get them to understand and learn how to study the bible and get them to do that on a regular basis then the rest of it's going to take care of itself seek the first kingdom of god and all these other things should be added unto you right mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, so one one thought on the time Mm -hmm. that it takes to do this. Okay. Is I want to make sure that everybody understands that there is a time investment Mm -hmm. initially. But as you invest at the beginning, it's hard work. Mm -hmm. But if you are faithful, then you you will actually reap. Because what you're going to do is you're going to take a, a small group of people that aren't really doing much. You're going to invest in, in them. And then over the course of time, you're going to have 12 people that are going to begin to be very impactful mm-hmm. in your ministry. But the, the hard part is, is the hard work at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then you build a foundation like a mentorship program, an internship program that now becomes your funnel for positions in the ministry. 
like I never had to um, go outside mm-hmm. of um, the context of my ministry to get somebody to do a position, to fill a position, mm-hmm. because I had so many people. That were coming up from within. That were coming with, that they were the ones that were filling and and taking over. People would be sent out, and there would be somebody standing right behind them, yeah. ready to do it. You know, yeah. and and such a key issue. I think that's one of the things we fall into with um, churches that are large enough and financially well off enough to have large staff. Mm-hmm. Um, as needs come up and all of that, it's easy for us to just lean on the staff members. And instead of investing in and mobilizing the body through mentorship and discipleship, and the result is typically an overworked, burnt out staff. (laughs) And also the reality that we're now stealing the joy of service and and coming into an affirmation and an understanding of of our gifts as a, as a church body. They don't get the joy of that discovery and serving the Lord in yeah. the way He's designed them to serve, you know. And and so yeah, just some of that the fruit that you're talking about, and uh, and like we mentioned at the beginning of the program, I'm sure it's just an amazing joy to you to look around and see hundreds of people who are impacting hundreds of other people. Yeah, you know. And so I guess in the end, the labor's worth it. Yeah. Yeah, it's worth it. And I, you know, I, I, I look at my life in eras. Mm-hmm. I had my BC days. I got saved at 25 in Costa Mesa. I had my days, one era at Costa Mesa, mm-hmm. 1990. I went on the mission field. I spent 15 years, mm-hmm. you know, in Europe. I came back in 2005 and I've been here for the last 14 years, another era in my life. And I have one good era left. Another 10, 15 years where I, Lord willing, I have my health. Mm-hmm. I'll be in my 60s, and I think that will be my most fruitful yeah. um, decade. The most to distill, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I have I've have now a lot of experience. I've mm-hmm. been able to articulate things on how to mm-hmm. – I'm excited because I have kind of have something brewing in my mind of how to really help people um, in their – Mm-hmm. Raising up sons in the faith, but yeah. uh, that's another podcast. But, <laughs> yeah. So a lot's but, crystallizing. Yeah. So the, <laughs> you know, this last ten years, last fifteen years, you know, I want to go and leave it all on the court. I want to make sure that everything that I can do to make sure that you know the what we started in Europe and other places in the world will continue. Yeah. You know, I'm looking forward to getting to Nigeria. I haven't been there yet, Mm. but a son in the faith, Prince, Mm -hmm. you know, he's been down there. Phil Metzger, he's had a great impact on that work, and uh, maybe we're going to go together. If you're listening to Phil, we're still... (laughs) We um, know you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and go down there. You know, there's been some other church plants that have happened from Abuja, Nigeria, so... There's a bunch of leaders that I think, you know, I can go down there and pass on some things before yeah. in this last run of yeah. life. I'm going back to Europe, and I'm I'm gonna go, you know when I die, you can spread my ashes in a few pla- <laughs> different places in the world. Yeah. But I'm going I'm going to Europe. I'm gonna finish in my my course there. Cool. It'll be the Rod Thompson Global Ash Tour. <laughs> 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 All the places you've had an impact. Well, Rod, I'm just thankful for you as a friend, thankful for you as an emerging mentor in my life, and thankful for all that God's done 
through you and that he's going to do through you and just pray blessings on your family. Looking forward to seeing what he continues to do in this next season. And, and thanks for being on the podcast today. Yeah, yeah my, my yeah. pleasure. Thanks for having Great. me. Yeah. So as we're in, in closing, what, um, what are some ways that people can connect to you and your ministries and maybe just a couple recommended resources for those who are listening to this and thinking, I need to take mentorship more seriously? Yeah. So if, if you want to stay in touch with what we're doing, we have a mission organization. We're launching Cross-Culture Missions. So we have a website that we launch, crossculturemissions.com. You can find us on Instagram as well as uh, Facebook. You can follow us there. Mm-hmm. And so that will give you continual updates. You can sign up for our newsletter on our website, and, mm-hmm. and you'll get communication through that. And, you know, um, we're praying that God will raise up partners mm-hmm. for us in prayer, provision, and participation. I, don't, awesome. I want people to be able to, when we're doing a conference, it usually takes around 10 or 15 people. Mm-hmm. We're heading to do a, the Serbian National Pastors and Leaders Conference in July, and we have a, a, a team of about 15 people. Mm-hmm. We, we minister the whole family. We have a, a youth program, children's program, pastors' wives, and you know pastors. So um, it takes a team to kind of put those things on. Mm-hmm. So you can participate with us if you follow us and, mm-hmm. and get our newsletter. There'll be opportunities for that. And so the, the greatest um, resource is the Gospel of Mark. Okay. Because that's where you see Jesus in action. It's a fast-moving book, but it's really him. You can see a lot of, of, of him mentoring those guys in, in the Gospel of Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other classics are Preachers and Preaching by... Preaching and Preachers. Yeah, Lloyd, preaching, Lloyd Jones. Yeah, Lloyd yeah. Jones. And then um, Lectures to My Students. By Spurgeon. By mm-hmm. Spurgeon. Mm-hmm. So those are the main ones. Awesome. Great. Cool. Well, if you're listening and you're looking for a great uh, family and ministry that is highly fruitful and great commission work to invest in, maybe you've been praying about that, definitely consider uh, Rod and Juja Thompson and Cross Culture... Missions. Missions, yeah. yeah. Awesome. And we're going to have that information for you in the show notes, which you can find at the link at calvarychapel.com. And uh, yeah, to you who have been listening, we hope you've enjoyed the program. Uh, for more resources connected to CGN, the Calvary Global Network, you can go to cgn.calvarychapel.com. And uh, we'd ask you to please also review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And with that, we will talk to you next time. Yeah.